everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! everybody, it is uh, Brian M. Hauser, and uh, welcome to the 13th episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, you've got myself and Jeff Simmons tonight. Uh, Jeff is uh, in a new locale, so he's got uh, not his optimal audio video setup, but it's Jeff. It's, it's all you need. It's all the Jeff that you need. So um, we got some good stuff coming tonight. Uh, we are obviously going to talk about this crazy game that just was. Uh, we will talk about this massive matchup that's coming up and some of the implications of the the games within the game the, the, that you're, we're going to talk about uh, tomorrow and tail the tape. Uh, and Jeff also managed to grab a great guest tonight. We've got Brady Henderson, who took over the Seahawks beat for ESPN, replacing uh, replacing Shiel Kapadia, and uh, has been doing a great job. A lot of good stuff from Brady, and excited to have him on. He's a He's been around for a while. It's going to be good to kind of pick his brain about how that transition's been and what he's noticed now that he's taken over that role. But, uh, Jeff, let's get started with um, uh, what's top of mind for you um, after all the – there's a lot of news to to kind of comb through from a Seahawks perspective after this weekend. Well, I'm just trying to figure out which half was real, right? The first half was a total disaster. And it was a perfect microcosm of the first three games. They couldn't do anything right in offense. Russell was leaving open receivers. And then the second half, it's the, the team we expect kind of expect to see this season where you saw the depth. You saw the team we saw in the preseason that we were talking about every week. And when the Seahawks are rolling right, you can feel them. And it's, it's kind of a kind of a silly saying sometimes, but you can feel their energy. You can feel the speed. And you haven't seen that team all year. And now I'm trying to figure out, was that because the Colts are a bad team with backup-level players? Or did something click for them? Because once Russell Wilson scored that touchdown on the third down, they looked like that dominant team we kind of expected to see this year. So I want I want to know what what was real and which half are is this team. Well, what about you? Well, you know I think it's a perfect micro it's a perfect sample game for two different types of fans, and they're probably the same fan in some way, but they're the person who says after a team blows out. Uh, Another team, they'll tell you, oh, it doesn't really matter. They're playing. That was the worst team in the league. Or they had a, 
really crappy defense or they're missing all these key players and they'll kind of excuse the the blowout as if it doesn't really matter. And then yeah. you got the other folks that are um, basically saying that no matter what um, uh, the score is, every game's tough and um, you never know which team's going to be there. And the fact that they're losing to this team proves that they're not that good. And um, you kind of get these folks that don't seem to really recognize that football's hard. <laughs> the NFL's tough. And um, any, you know, it's a cliche that any team can beat any other team, but it is a reality. And that's how slim the the divide is between teams that are true contenders and teams that aren't. And it's why Pete Carroll stresses consistency in everything that he talks about, because if you're not on your game throughout the game, you know, you're going to have, um, you're going to have problems week in, week out. You're going to have problems. And we've seen that the Seahawks have really struggled. It's like an engine that can't quite catch and get going through the first three weeks and the first half of this game. And then it just hit, and the offense started playing. The, the offense started passing. They started running. The defense stopped run to stop the run. They stopped the pass. They got the pass pressure. They got turnovers. It just all started working. And so I don't think you can completely throw it out because it was the Colts. Because no. guess what? They played the Colts in the first half, and none of those things were happening. So something was different. Um, I think I think the team has shown more of what they're capable of and um, hopefully showed more of the ceiling that we all believe they can achieve. Whether or not they can do that consistently, whether that means they're going to win this weekend, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, and that's that's the big question with them right now because when they're rolling and they're playing like that all, on offense and on defense, they're as good as any team in the league. And you saw the depth players. You saw J.D. McKissick. You saw Justin Coleman. We're going to get into those guys later. But that's the kind of team we both envisioned all of August. And that's what really jumped out in preseason. What was so alarming to us and probably for anyone who watched the first half of that game is, where has this team gone? And the first half was almost unwatchable. They were that bad. And I had some real negative, deep thoughts going through my mind about, whether the Pete Carroll's lost the team, whether the, the message is just not working because their energy just seemed sapped. Other than that pick six, they weren't stopping the run on defense. They weren't getting pass pressure. They weren't hitting open receivers. They were barely running the ball. They were getting penalties. But when they're rolling, it's just – I want to see that team more. And that was what we said in last week's show. We want to see that team show up. And they did it. In the, the second half, what they outscored them, 36-3? to three? That's as dominant as a game. That felt like that Monday Night Saints game a couple years back in the Super Bowl year where you just feel the energy and you feel the speed and you can see the whole team is just operating differently. And I want to see that team show up more because I think they have the talent. We talked about it all year. They got the rookie class. They got the talent. They got the skill players. Just We want to see that consistency. And they got a tough opponent coming up this week. And we're going to get into that later too. It's a real good measuring stick game because the Rams has been – as good as any team in the league right now. And I, I noticed in your power rankings today, when your power rankings came out, the power rankings pretty much matched up with the eye test of what I've seen so far. The Rams look like a top 10 team, and all the other teams in the top five look like the best teams to me 
So there was a lot of positives from this game. I thought over the course, the offensive line played better. You, you saw some, you saw a lot more of Tyler Lockett, who I've been quietly impressed with all year. Russell really came on in the second half. And you start to see a pass rush, and that's been the biggest issue for us right now. And I know Cliff Averill probably isn't going to be playing for the next little bit, but do you think this pass rush is going to keep rolling, or was that just a part of the game? I, I think that's that to me is one of the biggest questions. Um, you know, I, I think that on one hand, I would say that I'm skeptical because um, you know they they really just haven't been a consistent pass rushing team so far this year it's been one of the bigger disappointments um overall but i mean no ill will towards cliff averill is one of my favorite players on the team one of my favorite people on the team um i know he's going through something with his neck and um prognosis is pretty unclear it's hazy at this point and who knows um you know when he'll be back but he was one of the guys who was not having his best year so far. Um, and, and I think that Marcus Smith is a guy that I liked as soon as I saw him in camp. And I know the, the Seahawks did as well. He flashed pass rush ability right away. I think it's total craziness when Pete Carroll talks about him being a Sam, you know, a linebacker uh, backup. He's a Sam backup the way Chris Clemens was a Sam backup. Like, yeah, sure, but you don't want to put him out in space. Um, so I think that there's some potential in, in Marcus Smith getting more reps. I think there's more potential in Frank Clark getting more reps. I think we saw the best of Frank Clark so far this year, and that's a really good thing. So those are the things that make me hopeful. But I'll tell you, Jeff, that first half, you, you hit on it. I was in the stands. I turned to my friend Aaron and my my son Isaac, and I was like, my my son was like, "This is a seven and nine team. We're not making the playoffs." Yeah, and I couldn't argue. I mean, I was like, "We're losing to the Colts at home, and our defense looks like completely lacking any playmaking ability. They can't stop the Colts with Jacoby Brissett." Yeah. <laughs> well, what is this? Like, I mean, that was like. That was a really dismal and pretty low point. Um, I, I oh, definitely sure. it was going through my mind, is this the end of the era? That's yeah, how yeah. bad I thought it was. I, I have a buddy, a buddy who, uh, he's a radio a show radio host, host in Toronto, Toronto one of the national yeah, stations, and he's a Seahawks fan, so we talk every game. And, he, and me and him are sending us messages whether we need to replace Pete or not. And if I so showed those now, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say we were actually having that conversation. And once at the end of the game, we wrote back to each other, okay, Pete can keep his job as a joke. But <laughs> that's that I had the same thoughts. Like, is this thing over? And yeah, maybe it's an overreaction, but based on how the first three games went, based on the quality of opponent, based on kind of the, how way Russell was trending and how bad he looked in the first half in terms of situational awareness and missing open receivers. And, and then all of a sudden, the second half totally flipped. So. I'm kind of stumped on what you've hit on Russell a couple times in the first half, and maybe my, you know, my brain's blanking on it. Um, but Russell was one of the few parts that didn't really jump out to me in the first half as okay. uh, as a problem. And, and I, I doesn't mean that 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 he wasn't, but the one thing he did in the first half that I really was frustrated with was the safety. 
Um, yeah. You know, that, there was no reason to take that. He, you got to know the situation. You got to know that you're in the end zone. And if there's not the first read, then you throw it away and you move on to the next play. You punt, whatever, you know. Um, and so that one stuck out to me. But what about his first half performance? Like, give me, can you remember any examples? There was a play, I think it was the first drive, one of the early drives in the game where the, the read was to Doug Baldwin and Lockett is right beside him to the left. And he looks right in the area of Baldwin. He's covered, misses Lockett wide open and rolls to the right. And I think he took a hit in the play bro and just threw the ball away. There was that on the play in the end zone. Jimmy Graham is sitting wide open. Mm. Jimmy Graham, he looks left. He's sitting there wide open. Russell tries to extend the play, which in that point of the field, you cannot do. I know it took a pretty good play by the defender to get his knee down, but you got to know one, two, three, get the ball out. And I remember Brock Hewer tweeted, tweeted during the game. And Brock's pretty protective of the quarterbacks, especially Russell. He said Russell's not, he's not letting it rip. I, I can't remember his exact wording on the tweet, but he said the same thing. There are plays on the field where he's just missing guys and he's got to just let it rip, make those throws. And I don't. I think in, in the end, I think Pete admitted he was trying to be too perfect, or maybe Cable said he was trying to worry about the like what some of the Twitter people were saying. I don't know if that's true necessarily, <laughs> but to me, Russell was just he looked like that guy that was kind of taking that step back and kind of not the guy who was believing what he was seeing. And you'd mentioned earlier in earlier episodes of our show that he was missing open guys and he wasn't. He was staring at open receivers and not hitting them. So a lot of the time, it's like, what's going on with this guy? And then he has that drive at the end of the half where he just gets down the field, boom, 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 boom. It's like, oh, okay, everything's it's, it's classic Russell. He stinks for 20 minutes. And then in the second half, he looked like that 2015 Russell that we've been talking about every episode of this show that we want to see. So, yeah, he wasn't maybe one of the bigger problems. I was real disappointed with the front four. I was real disappointed with the, the back, the linebacker play in the first half, but... Once things settled in, a thing that keeps coming up with me for sure is just Cam Chancellor. And he hasn't been bad per se. I know pro football focus has given him a pretty solid grade. And I haven't noticed any egregious mistakes, but I still haven't seen any impact plays from him. I tweeted out during the game. It was a conversation I was having. So I'm still a little concerned about he's not playing bad. He's not screwing up in coverage or anything like that, but I was worried about him. I was worried about whether Averill and Bennett had lost it. And Russell just looked like that guy from some of the earlier games that we'd been driving us nuts. And once he got rolling and into that locked in mode again, Oh, here we go. Hey Brady. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You guys hear me. All right. Yeah. yeah perfect. What's that? <laughs> Are you able to hear us okay? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Jeff, uh, tell us a little bit about Brady Henderson and uh, welcome him to the show for us. Yeah, Brady's uh, Brady's uh, new on, he's not new on the beat, but he's got a prominent job with ESPN right now. He replaced Sheil Kapedia, who went back to his uh, Philadelphia and Brady was previously covering the team at ESPN 710, has been around the team for a while. So we wanted to give him a chance to maybe introduce himself to the Seahawks fan base, talk about his new job and 
what it's like covering the team for ESPN. So Brady, if you want to talk a little about yourself before we get into some questions and kind of give a little introduction. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, uh, th- and thanks again for having me, first of all. But yeah, Jeff kind of uh, hit, hit all the high points there. I've, uh, gosh, I've been covering the team now. I think this is what my seventh season because I started at 710 ESPN Seattle in 2010. Um, I'm from Seattle originally, went to O'Day High School uh, up on First Hill and then went to Western Washington University up in Bellingham, studied journalism there. And um, before I get too deep into uh, my life story, because I'm, I'm prone to ramble, um, I'll just wrap it up and say, yeah, I've, I've been covering the team for seven years now. And uh, the ESPN job was always the, my dream job. And so I feel very, very fortunate um, that it opened up and that they hired me. Yeah, congrats on that. I mean, that's Thank that's a, it's a dream job for, I think, a lot of folks. And uh, it's had some great people that have manned that role. Uh, yeah. You know, started with Mike Sando and, and um, you know, Shield did a great job in it. And talk a little bit about, I mean, there's been different types of reporters that have taken on that job and they brought different skills to it. You know, some people get deep into the, the analysis and the stats, some people more into the feature story side and covering the people behind it. Um, what should fans expect from you? Like, what what are the things that that get you intrigued uh, when you're covering a team? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I could say that there was one of those things that I'm really uh, really into, but really, it, it's a lot of those things. I've, um, you know, I really like kind of digging deep into feature stories and and getting to tell, um, you know, let people know about guys' backstories and where they're from. Um, I like the sort of football side of it. I think working with Brock Heward, like I did for seven years. Uh, at 710 ESPN Seattle, I, I constantly picked his brain on just the X's and O's uh, side of things. And, you know, I'm, I really like the the salary cap um, sort of element of football, which is it, it's a fairly arcane, um, you know, thing that not a lot of, you know, your average fan does not really understand that. And so um, I think it's a helpful tool when as a reporter, when you can know about that and kind of inform people about that and not just in a way that, you know, I guess inform people of the stuff that actually matters. Why did a team cut this guy? Um, why Why did this move make financial sense and all those things? So, um, yeah, Brian, to answer your question, it, it's it's a little bit of everything, really. Um, um, yeah, and, you know, being in my, my old job at 710 ESPN Settle, I kind of wore a few different hats there. So it didn't have as much time to really dig deep into a lot of things like I had always wanted to. And so that's uh, one reason why I'm really, really excited about this job is just being able to really sink my teeth into – into those types of stories. So we were just talking, Brady, about this game. Uh, and, you know, I I kind of compared it in my morning after column to uh, Two-Face uh, in Batman, where, you know, one side is so hideous, you can barely look at it and it's insane. And the other half is, you know, as crisp and as clean as, as you can imagine. And, um, what did you make of that game and how did it affect your assessment of this team? Yeah, it was, you know, you mentioned that first half, it was kind of like a, here we go again thing in that first half. And I think Doug Baldwin even said as much in the post game, a uh, little media scrum afterwards. And then in the second half, I, I don't, I can't remember the last time we saw the Seahawks look as dominant. I mean, I know we've seen it, but the, you know, it's, it's been a while since we've seen them, you know, play a, a second half as dominant as they did. I think it was, 32 yards um, total against the Colts in the second half or by the Colts in the second half. They got after Jacoby Brissett 
um, outscored them 30, what was it, 30-something, by 30 points, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, held them to three points in the second half. So, um, you know, it's it, it's just so hard to know what to make of this team on a, you know, week-to-week basis because of those <laughs> – yeah, because of those uh, just uneven performances. And um, it, it's hard to know what is truly the Seahawks. Is it what they showed in the first half? Is it what they showed in the second half? I mean, obviously, it's probably somewhere in between because they were pretty dreadful, uh, at least on offense in the first half. Um, you know, I wish I could say that it really that I, that I really have a, a clear idea of who the Seahawks are. It just kind of seems like a week-to-week basis. And, um, you know, they've got a tough, mat- tough matchup this week against the Los Angeles Rams. I think that game – it's going to be a pretty big measuring stick, especially on offense and even on defense too, because this is not the same Rams offense that we've seen uh, out of them over the last few years. That's it's been a pretty remarkable turnaround. I know it's only been four games, so you know the, the jury is still out on that team uh, as a whole and their their offense, um, you know, specifically. But I think this game is going to give us a pretty good, you know, a, a better idea of where the Seahawks are because. It, like I said, it's just hard to tell on a week-to-week basis because they it, they can look really good one half and really uh, really bad the next half. Yeah, we we had the, we had the exact same view. And the big story, obviously, this week to come out of the games was kind of the injuries too. Cliff Averill, yeah. Reese Odiombo, kind of a scary situation with him. And the biggest one, a guy we've been talking about all summer is Chris Carson. Uh, that was a devastating injury. He was playing so well and really taken into that role. So. I don't know if anyone can really answer this, but we'll let you give it your best shot. How do you expect them to handle the running back group going forward? Because now with McKissick and Procise, do, yeah. do you have any inclination of how they go forward with these four guys now? Yeah, you know what? That's a good question. And I, I've kind of been struck by Pete Carroll, you know, every time that, that he's talked about the running, you know, really about Carson's injury since it happened Sunday night, it seems like he's almost gone out of his way to say that Rawls is going to be the guy without actually outright stating it. Right. You know, I think there was a question Sunday night about how Lacey looked, um, you know, once Lacey, you know, once Carson went down and Lacey kind of took over and Pete was talking about Lacey. And then he said, he kind of pivoted over to, to Rawls and said, you know, we're really fortunate, you know, with Carson going down that we've got Thomas Rawls ready to step in there. And he said the same thing in his, in his morning radio show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Yeah, and a very similar comment in his afternoon press conference. It seems like at every turn, Pete has kind of he's he's wanted it to be known that that Rawls is going to be the guy going forward. Maybe that's you know trying to kind of pick Rawls up and make sure that you don't you know, make sure that Rawls stays engaged because he was a healthy scratch, and I'm sure that's not a, an easy pill to swallow uh, for a player who's who's done some things in the NFL. So, um, but it, it sure seems like Pete has has tried to tried to say that Rawls uh, as opposed to. Lacey is going to be the guy going forward. Now I'm sure Lacey's still going to mix in, but it really sounds like it's going to be Rawls as the main guy. Yeah, I think that that's my interpretation as well, Brady. And I know you you've been to the practices and the training camps and watched throughout. And you know what I saw was uh, Rawls was the lead back in the depth chart all the way through and had some injury. And Carson just kept playing well and playing well. And it seems like Pete's got some. He's done this in the past. He's got some roles in mind for those players. Like Lacey is the change of pace, but not the way most people think of the change of pace. He's the he's the pounder. You know, he's going to be slower, and he wants someone like a Rawls or a Chris Carson to be the featured back. And without without Carson there, you know, that role would be filled by Thomas Rawls. Lacey's role wouldn't change, so to speak. Um, 
And then the other question that came out of this game was a positive one, I guess you could say. J.D. McKissick made pretty big plays in a very short amount of time and looked to me like he was moving at a different pace than any of the other Seahawks running backs. We've heard ProSize is going to come back into the mix. What do you think they're going to do there? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, the the touchdown run that he had, the first of his two touchdown runs, I would like to see one of those those speed trackers that the NFL puts on those guys. <laughs> yeah, next that's as fast as I've seen a guy, you know, run in a long time. And, um, and you know, he made the tremendous catch. I, I, don't, I don't know if people realize how tough of a catch that was. I think if you see it in slow motion, you know, the touchdown catch he made when he kind of had to adjust and reach back and really caught it with his fingertips. Uh, you know, I think that's – I think J.D. McKissick, the, the way he played, that's a good reminder of, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of the, the roster construction. And, you know, he was inactive for the first three games. And you, you think, well, the guy's inactive. He must just – you know, he must be, a you know, very much a fringe player and uh, not very good. But I think that goes to show – I mean, that was a product of the Seahawks having a pretty deep backfield, even with to, – to Rawls and, and to other guys over those first few games. Sometimes you just can't – you just don't you just need spots you know you need to have those those game day roster spots for other people and it's not so much about a guy can or can't play um as far as what they do going forward i think that's going to be really interesting because you know cj Procise, look the guy can't stay healthy he's, he's a, just a tantalizing prospect he's been very good when he's been healthy but it's just kind of been the same old story with him um pete seemed encouraged i think he mentioned in, in his radio show that he thought that you know, he, he saw ProSize warm up before the game Sunday night and thought he might have a chance to play. Um, I, I wish I had a, I wish I had a, you know, a definitive answer and a good idea of what they were going to do, but um, it, it remains to be seen. I think, you know, they, they haven't brought up another running back yet. I know Mike Davis uh, is on the practice squad. He's a guy that a lot of people like. I thought he looked really good in the preseason. Um, so they're, I think they're still at four running backs right now. So I would think that there may be room on game days for McKissick. Um but uh, we'll see. I, you know, it's we'll see if uh, you know we'll see if I would still think that that third down role is going to be Procise's. Uh, but if certainly if McKissick keeps doing what he did Sunday night, I think they're going to he's going to find a way onto the field. I'd love to get your take on this because one of the more maybe not polarizing is the best word, but Sheldon Richardson's been a guy who seems to fit in really well from a dressing room standpoint and from a chemistry standpoint. He's been a really dominant run player but maybe not the interior pass rusher that some people thought they'd be getting so far. I don't know if he's had a sack yet. What have your been impressions of him and how he's fitting in and maybe what kind of role you see him going forward the rest of the year? Yeah, I, so I, I did a little uh, digging on this, I think, last week before the game um, Sunday night. I was looking at just kind of their pressure uh, percentage, and I think it was heading into that game Sunday night, it was 30th in the NFL. I think it was like something under 20% of the time that they had pressured uh, quarterbacks on their dropbacks. Yeah. Um, which And for reference, I think Jacksonville was first at like a little over 40%. So it was half of that rate. And wow. I think one of the issues, and, and Chris Richard alluded to this, and you've kind of kind of seen it too in games, is, is part of the reason for that, not the entire reason, but part of the reason for that is the way opposing offenses have gone after them. It's been a lot of very quick throws short routes and quick throws that are designed to get the ball out. And I, I think part of the reason is that, you know, and maybe this is teams recognizing what the Seahawks have up front and how dangerous that group looks like it is on paper. And they're saying, we're not going to let you even get a chance 
to come after us. That was that was very evident uh, in the Green Bay game in the second half. I think they sacked Aaron Rodgers four times in the first half. And then, you know, I can't recall all the numbers, but I, I want to say, you know, our according to our ESPN stats team, I think his average yards uh, per attempt as far as the target depth of where he was throwing to was like eight yards beyond the line of scrimmage in the first half and then four yards in the second half. So it was pretty much cut in half, uh, which just goes to show. And that's kind of been indicative of what, what we've seen at times throughout the season from opposing offenses is just those shorter, those shorter routes designed to get the ball out before the pass rush can arrive. I want to say that's the entire issue. Um, and we saw the we saw that pass rush kind of come alive in the second half uh, on Sunday night. But I think you know the, the the results have certainly been underwhelming just based on what you thought that group was going to be able to produce. But I think that's part of the reason. Yeah, you you wrote um, as well. One of the other things that that uh, seemed to trigger the second half of the Seahawks was this display of emotion from Russell Wilson and that play to score that touchdown and. Uh, if you don't know the answer to this, please like uh, let us know. But I saw somewhere on Twitter people were talking about that Russell may have uh, may have cursed, uh, and that that seems to have, have gotten some uh, attention. Do you know anything about that, or tell us what what you found when you were writing about that? Yeah, I, I didn't hear that. Was it? Did you? Did he supposedly curse after the play, or what? I, I that was the impression I got, but but uh, I have not confirmed that. So I, I was curious if you if you had heard anything about that because that would no, definitely you know be a what? story. Yeah, you know what? I, I watched the replay of that of that uh, what was it twenty three yard touchdown run uh, in the third. I think it was the third quarter. Yeah, to because um, I, I wanted to see how he celebrated again. I remember watching it in real time, and he was pretty fired up. And I wanted to see it again. And fortunately, you know, they don't have the microphones on there for those replays, so. Um, I, I was curious to see what he said. It was obvious he was yelling something. You could see the, the sort of emotion on his face. You could see he was yelling about something. But, no, I, that's funny you mentioned that because just based on how fired up he was, uh, it's rare to see that. You do not often see that from Russell Wilson. And so I, I, I do wish I could have seen what uh, or heard what he said there. Um, another thing that, that uh, you had tweeted out just before you came on was uh, the Seahawks – uh, ESPN's power rankings came out today and uh, th liked what, what Seattle was doing enough to move them up from the number 12 spot to the number six spot. My immediate reaction was like too high. And I love the Seahawks, obviously. Uh, what was your reaction to that? Where, where do you think they fit in the overall scheme of things? Yeah, I think they're, what is the, uh, I think the term there is recency, right? That was coming off the, the second. Yeah, the recency bias, that was, you know, the second. I'm sure a lot of people who voted in that saw what they did in the second half uh, of that game when, like we said, yeah, that was as dominant as, as we've seen them look in a while. Um, you know, I, I get it. I think people are used to the Seahawks. They, they know how much talent the Seahawks have on their roster. And, you know, maybe some of that, some of where the Seahawks are in those rankings, I think maybe that reflects a belief that, you know, They've overcome slow starts in the past, um, and maybe it's kind of taking a long-term view of where they think the Seahawks are going to be. Uh, you know, I, I was struck by how I think they're ahead of five teams, five five or six teams that are three and one, um, which I found was interesting. And they're the highest ranked of all the all the two and two teams. So, um, you know, it's hard to say. You know, perception can change so easily this early in the season with with one really good performance, one really bad performance. So, um, you know. I think on paper, if you just look at the talent that they have, they're certainly a top 10 team uh, as far as talent, probably even, you know, 
in the top five as far as talent. And, and I think maybe that's what people are are going off of is it's just the overall talent of the team and that most recent performance or the second half of that most recent performance. Um, yeah, I, I also I don't know if you had seen, but uh, um, Jermaine Curse had some interesting comments uh, in a New York Post article uh, commenting about his old team. He talked about Doug Baldwin being a top three receiver. Uh, you know, he talked about that he and Doug Baldwin before every game text each other about the fact that every team passed on them, all 32 teams, including the teams they're on, passed on them. Um, you know, what's your impression of, of what, if any, impact there is uh, of a guy like, you know, Jermaine Curse leaving and how some of the other receivers have stepped up and and what the impact just of, of not having a player like Curse that's been around for, for a lot of these big games in the, in the past? Yeah, you know, I think Curse's best attributes were he was always available. Um, he knew what he was doing. He had a lot of experience in the Seahawks system. And, of course, you know, as we all know, he made a ton of big plays for them. And so when they when they uh, traded him to the New York Jets, I think that was a move that meant that they were really counting on a lot of younger players, somewhat unproven players like Paul Richardson to step up. And I think Paul Richardson, I think that's been one of the, I don't want to say early surprises because he always knew that he had the talent. Um, in him to do that but that's been I think one of the more encouraging developments for them their receiver core specifically over the first four games is Richardson has really shown them that he can be that that big play threat Um, I think he had you know the touchdown in the Tennessee game uh, the the game-winning touchdown against San Francisco when he had the the broken finger which I still have a hard time wrapping my head around uh, how he came back into that game and and um, you know played and caught the game-winning touchdown catch but uh, you know, for a guy who obviously had a lot of injury concerns, injury history before that, I think to do that was a pretty big deal for him. And so um, they needed players like Richardson to step up, and then so far they have. So, um, you know, certainly was understandable why they why they traded Jermaine Curse. I don't know if he had much of a future with the Seahawks beyond this season with his contract and the way that his production had declined. Um, but, you know, they've so far Richardson has stepped up to kind of fill that void. Um the first quarter of the season's done. So who are some players you're looking forward to watching? Maybe uh, watch closely in the second quarter of the year. Maybe guys who've stepped up lately or guys you've been hearing buzz on. Yeah, yeah. So I, one of the guys, I'll give you two names. Marcus Smith, uh, the defensive end, I think he's going to play a lot more than he has uh, with, with Cliff Averill going down with, with that, whatever is going on with his neck, which is just a really scary deal. And uh, you know, Brian, you had mentioned the game earlier. Uh, earlier in the in the segment, you mentioned the game and just how many injuries they had. And I'll just, as kind of an aside, that was like, I don't know if I've ever covered a game where um, I've just left kind of with this pit in my stomach about all the different uh, injuries that they had, and not just you know a guy spraining an ankle or whatever, but just the uh, kind of the nature of those injuries. That was kind of a, a, a weird deal to watch. And it, it, it just, yeah, it was really unfortunate, but, um, and Cliff Averill being one of those guys. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more of Marcus Smith. Um, you know, Pete Carroll had an interesting comment yesterday saying that he saw a lot of Chris Clemens in Marcus Smith. And really, if you look at Marcus Smith, he really fits the profile of what they like in their Leo edge rushers. So he's one of the guys. And then also I would say Justin Coleman, I'm actually writing a story about Justin Coleman right now. Thing that they could have asked for and more, uh, really, since they traded for him uh, from the New England Patriots. He's had to step in twice because Jeremy Lane 
uh, you know, got ejected from the, the Green Bay game. And then again, Jeremy Lane went down in the first quarter uh, against the Colts on Sunday night. So Jeremy Lane's status is kind of uncertain going forward with that groin injury. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of Justin Coleman. And so far, he's really stepped up quite a bit. So that's been another encouraging sign for them. Jeff, did you have something you're about to ask? No, 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 <laughs> sorry. I, I you were gonna, I no, sorry, you unmuted. So, yeah. Um, so now you you turned attention to this Rams game, and this is a this is a division opponent. This is a obviously a high quality opponent. They're three and one. They've they just beat Dallas in Dallas, and and they're number one scoring offense in the league. What are what are the things that for, you know, first of all, what's your assessment of, of the Seahawks' chances heading into this game? What are the, the key matchups that you're going to be looking at? Yeah, I mean, the one that, that comes right to mind is, I'm sure it does for a lot of people, is just the, the Rams' defensive line uh, against the Seahawks' offensive line. And, and it's kind of, you know, it seems like a lot of those games that they've had against the Rams, it's been decided that that matchup has decided the game. Um, it's I think it's basically the Rams' what has been the Rams' best strength, their defensive line. And that's what has been the Seahawks' biggest weakness over the years is their offensive line. And it's no it's no wonder why the games have kind of gone – some of the games have gone the way they have. Um, and now you're looking at maybe not having Reese Odiombo, uh on Sunday, depending on where his, his sternum injury, where he has, you know, kind of what happens there. Um, so you could be down to, to really your third option at left tackle at this point because Odiambo, of course, was replacing George Fant in the first place. So um, that's not an ideal situation there. I think, you know, unlike last year, they can – I think they are better equipped just because Russell Wilson has his legs back. They're better equipped to kind of withstand being overmatched against a really good defensive line um, like the Rams have. But uh, we've, we've just seen how that matchup can kind of wreck games from the Seahawks perspective. So I think that's, that's the big one for me going into this game. Yeah. Do they have any chance to block Aaron Donald this week? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I mean, maybe it'll work out in their favor that he's, you know, only been, been back there for a couple weeks cause he had the holdout, but um, I think he's been playing. I think he's back up to a normal, you know, amount of work. I think they, they held him out of the first game and then maybe limited him, limited him a little bit in the second game. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I will say this, you know, the, I think they like the way that Odea Abushi has played there, uh, over the last two games since replacing Mark Lewinsky. Now, Abushi had this kind of string of bad penalties in that Sunday night game. I think it was two on the same drive. Uh, but I think overall they've been pretty pleased there. And one of the things that they've said that struck me was he, he improved the communication, which I, I found that interesting because I would think that a guy like Mark Glowinski, who would, was in, is in his third season with the team, uh, I would think that communication that he he'd be better equipped to to you know sort of handle that communication as opposed to a veteran who you're bringing in who's you know played five four or five games with the team at this point. Um, but that's that's one thing that both Pete Carroll and Tom Cable said is they like the way that Abushi kind of settled things down, and so um, maybe that maybe. Maybe that'll help them a little bit against Aaron Donald, uh, but we'll see. It's just going to be a tough matchup either way. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be the spoiler for everybody, including you guys. No one's blocking Aaron <laughs> Donald. <laughs> Nobody. Do you, see him? Do you see him with Zach Martin last week? You whipped him to the ground. Yeah, that was incredible. An, an all-pro guard, you're just tossing around like a, like a high school kid. That was pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so that, that, that to me is not the drama. Yeah. Um, 
it is interesting. This Rams team is maybe the second worst defense in the league. Uh, that doesn't get as much pub because people are so shocked by the quality of their offense that nobody was really expecting. Uh, but, you know, to have maybe the best defensive player in the game and have one of the worst defenses while having a really good defensive coordinator, uh, that's an interesting one. And, you know, one of the things I'm curious about, Brady, like, you're around, you saw Russell Wilson in 2015 when he just went off in, in the second half of that season. And um, I don't know if you know, but this is the, the first time in his career, including that stretch, where he's had two straight games where he's thrown for 295 yards or more. And he's got, what, six touchdowns over the last uh, two games. And his passer rating is about 110, which was what he had that 2015 season. You cock your head to one side and you say, all right, it was one half against the Titans and it was one half against the Colts. I uh, you tilt your head to the other side and you say, is Russell Wilson in the midst of one of those new tears that could really carry this team? What's your, what's your instinct on that? Yeah. I mean, he's got it. We know that he's got it in him. We've seen it for, and, and that wasn't like, you know, a couple game stretch. That was that was a, a half of a season where uh, I think he threw one interception and I can't even remember how many touchdowns it was uh, in the second half of that 2015 season. But that was as efficient as I've ever seen a quarterback play uh, since I've been covering the NFL. And, and, yeah, so you know he's got it in him. And, you know, I think I would tend to say – I don't know if he's going to get back to that, what he did in the second half of that season. But, you know, I would say that I don't think their offense has been as far off as maybe it has seemed um, just be, and I say that because there's been a couple plays in every game where they've just missed for whatever reason. And it hasn't been an issue of, you know, their offensive line being overmatched or receivers not being able to get open. It's really just been execution and, and, you know, plays that you see them execute the Jimmy Graham drop, um, you know, on, on third down in the, in the green Bay game, Russell Wilson overthrows Tyler Lockett by a few yards in that green Bay game. Uh, he had a couple overthrows in the the Tennessee game to Doug Baldwin, I think, in the first quarter. It's just been plays like that. Jimmy Graham had a couple drops. Um, you know, he had one in the San Francisco game, another one that led to an interception uh, against the Colts. It's it's just kind of execution plays to where you you have a good feeling that okay, they're not going to keep making those mistakes, and you feel better if if that's the issue. You feel better about that being issue than about them just getting overpowered up front or them not being able to open up any holes in the running game or the receivers not being able to get open. Um, you've seen them do it. You've seen Russell Wilson do it. And I think, you know, they were able to put all that together in the second half. And it was a lot cleaner performance than what we've seen out of Russell and out of everybody else on the offense. So I don't, I don't know if he's going to get back to that. That's a pretty high standard to try to, to get back to, but I think that it's going to be, I think that their offense is going to be, I, I have faith that their offense is going to be better than, than what it has been. Uh, over the first, I guess, three and a half games. Well, Brady, we've yeah, yeah that was. Go ahead, a, Jeff. I was going to say that was. A, everyone's waiting on Russell because he's such a polarizing player right now among the fan base, and so that last game just seemed to be like a microcosm of him. Where in the first half he's looking at guys and he seems to have open receivers and he's not pulling the trigger. And then the second half, once he gets in that mode where you kind of saw it in Tennessee too. Is, is that, is that a common thing among other quarterbacks that you've noticed or is just, just such a, 
rare situation where one half he's unable to like hit anyone and the next half it's unstoppable. Can you think of any reason why that's happening or is it just kind of an outlier? Yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. And I know, I think, um, I think it was Pete Carroll said something to the effect a few days ago about Russell trying to be too perfect. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe there's a, maybe there's something to the idea of just being able to cut it loose. You know, I, Russell has always, and I think this is how Pete Carroll, for the most part, wants him to play. But Russell has always played with this very strict governor on him because Pete Carroll, he does not want, you know, he's at all costs. Pete Carroll wants to avoid turnovers, and for the most part, Russell has done a very good job of that uh, throughout his career. And I think that maybe, maybe there's a little bit, maybe at times, you know, maybe he's too cautious. Maybe he does not at times, you know, entirely trust that a receiver is going to make a play. you know, thrown to Jimmy Graham in the end zone, uh, whatever the case may be. So I, I was kind of struck by the Carroll comment, and I, I just wonder if that goes back to, um, you know, spending however many years, you know, six years under Carroll, a coach who um, just at all costs wants to avoid turnovers, and may, maybe if there's at times, you know, a little bit of a hesitancy just to cut it loose. I think that's a really great observation and i love i haven't heard that phrase with with russell the governor um I, it's it's so true you, you, you and i think that is exactly what Pete carroll's referring to and you know i think uh, someone's got to give him permission and and encourage him to uh let it loose he's been in the league long enough and they protected him when he first came in and he's a different player when when he really is not thinking as much and is just letting the plays come to him instinctually and letting the ball fly. So I think that's a great point. Um, and Hey Brady, we've kept you a long time. We want to really thank you for uh, joining the show. We hope to have you back on. Uh, hopefully this is a long tenure with ESPN. This is a, a position that lets people launch into, you know, even, even bigger things. You've obviously come a long way already. So, um, we're all cheering for you and, and great to have a local guy who understands how much Seahawks fans care about this team covering them. So, so thanks for all that you've done. Well, thank you. And that, that means a lot to me, Brian. I appreciate it. And, um, thank you guys for having me on today. I, I would love to do it again. Just, just yeah. ask, let me know. That was great. Man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Brady. All right. Thanks guys. Take care. Take care. So folks, you can find Brady Henderson, um, on ESPN and, um, uh, on Twitter, I think he is. Let me it's double Brady check. I think yeah. Brady underscore. I oh, know it's just Brady Henderson. B R A D Y H E N D E R S O N. And uh, follow him there. Great updates. Um, and and uh, follow him at ESPN.com for the Seahawks beat. So thanks again to Brady for coming on. Uh, Jeff, I, I got to let you know um, uh, that. Once again, I had to partake in a special deal this week um, because I'm not get a chance to eat dinner. But it's not one that you can take advantage of. I saw, I saw you. I saw you with that slice earlier. I know. I got. A, I got a slice here. So, so for folks that don't know, Pagliacci Pizza is one of our sponsors, and every Monday through Thursday, I think it is going to be throughout the season. We'll see how it goes. Uh, if you buy one 11-inch pizza, they will give you a second 11-inch pizza for free. So you just have to use the code HawkBlogger. Awesome deal for great pizza. Get yourself a salad, make it a meal, do the whole thing. 
Um, and uh, Jeff, whenever we get you out here, um, I'll be happy to buy you some. But but until then, you'll just have to dream. We got we got to work on that one. Uh huh. <laughs> you always got me. You always got me one up. I do. It's, dude, it's a good life. Up. I can't. I can't complain. I know. Um, I know. I got. I got to work on my game. So yeah, we gotta get some Toronto sponsors. Can you work on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, there's some Seahawks fans out here, man. I got a whole right, cast well, of them. Yeah, I don't know. I can't even think of a good joke about what a Toronto sponsor would be, like maple syrup or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll talk to Luke Wilson. He's a couple. He's born a couple hours away. That's he, true. Hey, Luke yeah. Wilson on Canada Day with the touchdown. One of my favorite things is when Luke Wilson scores a touchdown – the whole team, especially the whole offense, they love it more than anything else that seems to happen. I mean, he is so beloved on that team. I think it was a very underrated turn of events that he managed to resign. I don't think anyone expected him to come back. And uh, it's great to have him. I mean, I think he's a great glue guy in the locker room. He does all the little things. And he's a good player. I mean, he's 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 – when given the opportunity, he makes plays. Yeah, I think he's playing as good as he's played any year in Seattle this season. And all the talk about Jimmy Graham and whether he's the right fit. I think Luke's been quietly really, really good all year. And I just want to give him a shout out. He, he's been he had a really good game on Sunday. He's, he's had some missed blocks this year, but he's really turned into a nice, solid player and round picks in quite a while. Well. Anything stand out from you that you heard from Brady um, that, that sparked an idea for you? Um, nothing like too specific. I think the big one is maybe just the running back situation and how they're going to use Rawls and Lacey. And... But I think it was interesting he talked about Marcus Smith because I think right now, moved off to me this week were Justin Coleman, number one, and he mentioned Justin. The big thing we've been talking about all year, and I think it's so important to a football team, and we're seeing with these injuries, is depth. And Justin Coleman, he did it in the Green Bay game in the opener. He did it again on Sunday with the pick six. And just he's been a really good nickel player all year. And I know you've been wanting to kind of maybe move on from Jeremy Lane and have they had that. And some people weren't thrilled with how they addressed the cornerback position all offseason. But between him and Shaq Griffin, who again, other than that, maybe that one touchdown, which I don't really blame him for. Coleman's been really solid when he's had to come in. And before, even the last couple of years, that's been more like Marcus Burley, who's the mill guy. And just the, the fact that the team was able to have Coleman lying around, they basically turned Cassius Marsh into him. And Coleman's been a great player for them so far. And New England's totally missed him. I don't want to get too much into New England's defensive issues. That's a whole other. <laughs> well, they had the worst defense in the NFL. It's, it's they can't stop the anyone. And the corners yeah. have been the biggest issue because they're not communicating at all. Stefan Gilmore was benched this week. But again, Marcus Smith, Justin Coleman, guys, they were able to pick off. Schneider was so good at it early on when he got here. And they don't want to call them bottom of the roster guys. I know Pete got a little irked by that this week, but just having those depth players. And Marcus Smith looks like a player who can really fit on this defense. And they're going to need him now because Cliff Averill, that's a scary injury when you have movements in your arms and movements in your hands coming from the spine and neck. A lot of playing time for Marcus Smith, who kind of looked like Chris Clemens. I know you guys mentioned that earlier, but 
came from Philadelphia. He's a speedy guy off the edge that couldn't find a role through the NFL. I don't want to make that draw those comparisons, but I think he's a really exciting guy right now. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a, that's absolutely true, and you have to make the comparisons to to Clemens because Pete Carroll did, and you know he knows yeah, what he's yeah. talking about. Uh, I do think you know it's interesting with a guy like Justin Coleman that that jumps in there. You just kind of you know right away with a lot of these guys when they hit the field, it's it, it they they tell you with their play pretty quickly whether they're going to stick and what kind of player they're going to be. And Coleman has been, he's been good from the moment he stepped on the field. There have been no major mistakes. I think I tweeted out today. He's fifth in the NFL per pro football focus in opponent passer rating. He's allowing a 33.1 passer rating right now to to passes um, thrown his way. Uh, That's tops on the Seahawks. Uh, And he looks like, he looks like he can stick for a while. And <laughs> you know that I'm not the biggest Jeremy Lane fan. And part of that is, I don't know that Jeremy Lane is ever going to be a durable player. And um, CJ Procise gets a lot of flack for understandable reasons. But Lane has been injury prone for sure since the moment he stepped into the league. But uh, a couple things that you mentioned around Averill and Smith that I want to touch back on. So one... I think that fans hopefully are braced for, you know, potentially bad news with Cliff Averill. Uh, This is a, this is a spine, you know, nerve issue. Those are not things that have predictable healing cycles. If, if surgery is required for something like that, Cliff's over 30. He's in the last year of his deal, or maybe it's the second last, but I think it's, he's, he's near the end of his deal without guaranteed money. Um, you know, this could be this could be a career ender. You know, I'm not. I don't want to be the, the doom and gloom, but that occurs to me. It could be. And Marcus Smith, Frank Clark. You know, this could be an opportunity for them to step forward. And I hope. I really hope that Cliff comes back. I love watching him play. I think he's a great part of the team. But Frank Clark, I think, is ready for more reps, and the team needs him to be out there. And People forget, people talk about um, John Schneider's moves in the draft and free agency. One of the best moves he ever made was trading for Chris Clemens, you know, for Daryl Tapp. And not only did they trade Daryl Tapp for Chris Clemens, but Philadelphia included a fourth round pick. Yeah. (laughs) In addition to that, because they thought Clemens was such, you know, trash. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So Marcus Smith, this is a first-round pick. He's got talent, um, and Philadelphia didn't know how to use him. The Seahawks may have figured out another guy that they have a, a need for. Chris Clemens was one of the few Seahawks who ever had three straight double-digit sack seasons. Not to say Marcus Smith will be that good, but maybe he's a six, seven-sack guy, and that's that's not nothing. No, they need that speed rusher off the edge because that really complements kind of what the rest of the pass rushers do and Bennett's more of the interior first step quickness and Clark uses power and a freakish athleticism a physical freak and they need that speed rusher kind of set everything up and Smith is the, the natural guy to be that role because he's really the only guy on their team who has that big first step coming from the Leo spot and another guy I want to kind of shout out 
he really hasn't gotten much talk this year because he's not maybe a guy who's going to fill up the stat sheet. And I know a lot of people were kind of disappointed last year with kind of Reed wasn't maybe the most impactful player. If you watch the games closely, and you might not see it in terms of pressures or sacks or whatever, Jared Reed has been a dominant run player and ability to take on double teams and clear things up for Bobby Wagner. And I know that he hurt the guy in his play, but the play he made in the beginning of the game to knock the center right over. Unfortunately, the center got hurt, but Jaron Reed is making a play like that every single game. And I've been I've been really impressed with the kind of guy he's become. And he's become one of the really key guys in the room. I remember when they huddled a couple weeks on the sideline, he was the one leading it a few weeks ago. I think it was in Tennessee. So I, I just wanted to give him a shout out. I've been really impressed with him. Just if you watch closely, he's been a really solid player. He's definitely changed his body since last year. He's a little slimmer, a little more athletic. Yeah. Um, I've definitely seen more burst from him. And I think his energy level has always been pretty high. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the in the trenches stuff. I haven't paid as close of attention as it sounds like you have. And I think that's a great call out. Those are the guys that never get the the pub. And I'll admit that when we started seeing some of these breakout runs and some more effective runs by opponents, one of my first questions was, you know, did Ataba Rubin, has he missed more than than we realized in the middle of that line. And I think that with jury is still out, but this is, you know, I know pro football focus is one of many measures. There's tons of flaws with it. And, and some people don't want to hear about it at all, but this for me passed the eye test, which is Sheldon Richardson and a lot of the Seahawks defensive linemen have been getting pretty negative grades throughout the season. Yeah. And they, that turned around, not just, not just overall, but in run defense and pass rush. And Sheldon Richardson got a positive, a strongly positive uh, run defense grade um, and pass rush, but especially run defense grade in this. And something for me wonders if that started to click. His responsibility on the interior line, his run fits, um, uh, Jaron Reed working in conjunction with him. Like, did they, and, you know, Naz Jones absolutely deserves a mention as well. Yeah, um, and, good and call. Smith. Like, have they started to figure out a, a rotation on the defensive interior that is going to be able to be more durable? Well, this is going to be a good test for it because if you're giving out a quarter MVP of the league or quarter offensive player, Todd Gurley's probably your guy. And I don't know how closely you guys have been watching the Rams. This is a totally different team than that team we're used to playing those physical Jeff Fisher, where it looks like the Seahawks are playing their big brother. How bad of a coach was Jeff Fisher? Oh, God. I, only against the Seahawks, though. But you, you see, you see how, how, like, one of these, Sean McVay is, is a whiz. Is a whiz. Anyone who's mad and been around this guy is blown away by just the depth of knowledge he has, the communication he has, how prepared he is. Just look what he's done with Jared Goff and not even a quarter of a season. It's a totally different player. They're a very diverse. They got a great left tackle. They got Andrew Whitworth. They got a lot of Seahawks fans are hoping they could steal from Cincinnati in the offseason. They can run the ball. They can pass the ball. So this Rams team is not that grinded out, ugly team we're used to seeing with Sean Hill and Austin Davis. And it's a different team. They're diverse. They're they're multifaceted. They got receiving depth, Cooper Cup and Watkins and Robert Woods. This is going to be as tough of a game as maybe the Seahawks might have on their schedule. For the rest of the year this is in la this is not going to be easy and 
the Seahawks really want to show their fans, or not even their fans themselves, that they're going to be back in the mix. This is as good as a team as there is right now. That's yeah, really to say. I think one of the, the things that really stuck out stuck out for me watching uh, Goff so far this season, but especially on Sunday against the Cowboys, was it's one thing when he is able to sit in a clean pocket and fire to a wide open receiver in space, yeah. you know, McVeigh creates a nice scheme for him. And that's all still impressive. But what got me kind of paying closer attention was he was being flushed out of the pocket. And there's one play in particular, he's being flushed out of the pocket to his left. And those are the kind of moments where less experienced, less intelligent quarterbacks will make some really bad decisions. And he threw on the run under pressure, just a dime. Um, the receiver couldn't catch up to it, but it was a beautiful throw. And that is something that he could not do last year. When things broke down, he would make some horrible choices. Um, honestly, when things didn't break down, he would make some horrible choices. And it's starting to look a lot like that was as much to do with coaching as it was to do with the player because he's a completely different quarterback this year. Yeah, it's it's striking what a coaching a, a great offensive mind can do. And I was fascinated to see how Goff would respond from being around McVay. You saw what McVay did in Washington with Kirk Cousins. It made a remarkable difference in his career. And I believe Cousins was the one who said when McVay left that he signed him. He signed him a jersey and said, "I owe you for my whole career." And it's it's gonna the Rams are different now, man. It's they still they have a very different defense. It's still Aaron Donald dominant. I would. It's going to be next to impossible. We mentioned it to block them, but the rest of the defense, the Wade Phillips scheme where they send pressure from all over. William Hayes isn't around anymore. A guy has been trouble. And this team is a depth. They're giving up a ton of big plays. And Dallas was hitting them on big plays all day. So it's going to be fascinating to see how Wilson does against that pressure. It's going to be fascinating to see who Seattle uses at left tackle because this is a, it's a tough team to block. And Odiambo, the injury doesn't sound as bad as it initially sounded when those national reports were coming out, but you're looking at maybe Matt Tobin or Isaiah Battle, probably Tobin. And yeah. Luke Jokel, probably not him, but he's been really good at left guard lately. I don't think he's going to kick out. So this is, that's a big part of this matchup that everyone's better to keep a close eye on. Yeah, that, that, it's a shame. I mean, Odiambo is <laughs> – He's not, he's not played well um, no. overall, and, um, but he's, he's had the reps. He's improving. Um, the team knows what to expect from him generally. Matt Tobin very well could get in there this week, and he could be much worse than what we've seen from Reese Odiambo. I don't think we can assume he'll be better. One thing that Tobin could be significantly better than Odiambo in is run blocking. Tobin was known for that in Philadelphia as one of the things that he's done relatively well. Um, pass blocking has been his major issue. And so um, Isaiah Battle, I think, is the opposite. I think there's more promise for him as a pass blocker than as a run blocker. But um, that will be one to watch. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Tomorrow's going to be a key day to see who's on the practice report, who gets in there. You know, 
is Odiombo, he's, you know, he's got a sternum injury. Is it something he maybe can practice through? Probably not. Um, but him being available would be huge. Um, yeah, that's a big deal. Well, I want to show you this real quick. Um, yeah. This will come out tomorrow. Um, I don't know if you can see. You able to see this all right? Yeah, for sure. Oh, great. Perfect. I'm just coming out tomorrow on the tail of the tape. Just give everyone a little bit of a, an early preview here. Um, and it's really interesting to look at how these teams match up because it's very different than past years. Past years, you've got a Rams defense that was, you know, relatively good, if not top 10 good in some cases, uh, against the Seahawks offense that was pretty bad in, in, in a lot of situations. Um, right now, you've got uh, the Rams defense. They're 28th in points allowed. They're 27th in yards allowed. They're 27th in yards per play. 29th in red zone defense, 30th in running rush defense. Um, you know, they're 32nd in the league in explosive runs allowed. They're 26th in the league in explosive passes allowed. And yes, they're fourth in the league in sack rate, but that hasn't seemed to matter. No, so been, if you read wow. this chart, what it really tells you is, yeah, the Rams might sack you, but they're going to give up a bunch of yards. And one of the things I saw when looking at the Rams on Pro Football Focus and some of their their missed tackle stats, their cornerbacks have some of the you know highest totals of missed tackles in the league. And so um, you put a Tyler Lockett in a position to break a tackle or a Jimmy Graham or a C.J. Procise or a J.D. McKissick, um, those might be the kind of plays that – that they need, um, you know, get these guys out in space and let them try to work on these secondary players. Yeah, the numbers the numbers speak volumes because if you look at the roster on paper, the Rams, they're more of a top-heavy unit than we're used to seeing. They used to have a ton of defensive line depth and play and good – they had Janoris Jenkins a couple years ago, and now if you look, you're going to see a lot of names you might not be familiar with. You'll know the big name, the Aaron Donald, the Ogletree, Mark Barron. Tremaine Johnson, but once you get into their deeper players, and they rotate a lot of guys in and out, it's a totally different unit than they They're kind of restructuring their whole defense. And you're right, Tyler Lockett's a guy who had pretty good success in that o in the opening game against the Rams last year, week two. He got down the field a bunch of times, and that was him playing on a bum. I think it was a bum ankle, or he clearly wasn't right. And yeah, this is a this is a prime matchup for him. Maybe Paul Richardson to they can hold up in pass protection at all there. There's going to be some plays down the field. If Jimmy Graham wants to hold on to the ball, he's wide open. <laughs> Please, uh, Jimmy, hold on to the ball. I know, I know. Jimmy is – there's just such ups and downs with Jimmy. It's just some, some days I can't figure him out. He's like a front runner. When things are rolling, he's like the perfect guy to have in your team. He's tough. He's physical. He gets everyone going. And when things are going poor for him, he just seems to sink. But I don't want to spend too much time on that. We've talked about Jimmy pretty much every week this year, and last week he got going a lot, just like the whole team in the second half. So, yeah, I think I think the numbers speak volumes because the Seahawks are at their best when they can have explosive plays, and there's going to be chances, assuming they're able to block these guys. Yeah, and the last thing I think we'll have time for tonight is just the, yeah. the other part of this matchup, which is, is on defense. And, um <laughs> Again, usually it's the Seahawks defense that's number one or number two in all these rankings, and it's the, the Rams offense that's at the bottom of the league. And 
what you've wow. got here, what you've got here is, um, you know, a Rams offense that is pretty much top of the league in there. Number one in points, number five in yards, number two in yards per play, sixth and third down percentage, number one in yards per attempt. Uh, they don't allow sacks, fourth in sack rate, um, third in explosive passes, fifth in explosive rushes. Um, you know, and you've got a Seahawks defense that still, you know, on the rush side, they're 30th in the NFL in yards per rush. You know, Seahawks' perspective would be, hey, we're starting to get right. We'll figure it out. Rams, if I'm a Rams fan, I'm looking at it saying, uh, yeah, Todd Gurley's going to go off in this game. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just the way they've been using Gurley, the down-the-field guy, and he made a huge play in the passing game last week against the Cowboys. and. See him matched up on some of Seattle's linebackers and see other front plays. This is this to me, it might be the game of the week. It's it's so fascinating on a number of different levels. And the Rams are getting all the love from the national media. So it'd be great if the Seahawks can come in there and just knock them around and kind of show that second half was real. I don't know if that's the most realistic expectation given how Seattle's played and how good the Rams have been and how consistent they've been, but Man, that would make me happy. I, I I I can use another game like that second half. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that seems that seems pretty uh pretty tough to expect, but yeah, it might be look, the hardest game of the schedule. The way the Seahawks go against the Rams, a win, I don't care if it's three nothing or three to two or nine to six, probably unlikely that any of those are gonna be the score, but I will take any of those. Um if they can win this game. I, I think Going in, I, you know, I have more depth, you know, more analysis I'm going to do and part of my tail of the tape. But awesome. um, I think you have to expect the Rams to win this game uh, for a lot of reasons. And this is one of those times where if the Seahawks can find a way to pull this out, it changes the whole trajectory of the season. A lot of their past failures get excused and all the opportunities open back up. Um, if they lose. Yeah. And you're talking about one, you know, two games behind. Um, and that that's a pretty big deal at this point. And that's, you know, that's without the tiebreaker figured in yet. So uh, it's going to be big. And, uh, hey, I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your week and, and, and get ready for this that's game. Sure, and we've got some great other guests coming down the pike. Still working on getting Michael Gervais in here. We're going to get some uh, – uh, some other folks. I'm, I've got a couple other people on the on the hook that we'll we'll reveal soon. And I know you're working on some folks as well. Yeah, yeah. I just want to again shout out to Brady. Brady was awesome tonight. I've seen him on Twitter for years. I've been reading his stuff, but I've never really got a chance to talk to him and learn about him. And I thought he was super impressive. A lot to say. I'd be happy to have him back. So it was great to learn about him, get to know him a little more. And yeah, the Seahawks buy is coming up. This is the big maybe the most important game in the first half of the season in terms of division race. That's a, that's a great point. And the Seahawks have talked about for so long, wanting that home field advantage back in the playoffs. If you can't win this game, that might be out the window at this point of the year, unless you really get in a role in the second half. So we don't want to overstate each game, but this is a critical game. You nailed that one. It's big. It's big. Hey everybody. Thank you for joining real Hawk talk. Make sure you click on the subscribe button below and uh, we will see you again next week. Take care. Yeah, everyone, everyone subscribe. Don't forget. Want more great Seahawks talk? Of course you do. 
Check out the Pedestrian Podcast. It's the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers. Hosted by Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents. You get Seahawks. You get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com, or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.